you know, recently we were all uh, treated with kind of a rare spectacle that we were able to get a glimpse into some of the uh, regal happenings, if you will, at the procession for the queen. I think uh, it's hard not to see that. It was just about everywhere for about 10 days there as they prepared to lay the queen to rest. And uh, I even got caught up in some of it myself, just watching some of the things. We don't really get to see a lot of that in America. We don't have that much... Um, uh, culture, maybe, if you will, not, no slight toward our country as they do over there, and watching as that procession made its way toward the chapel and uh, all of the guards that were there and the attendants that were there uh, leading the procession of the casket of the queen, and it was quite the spectacle to see all that went through that and the hundreds of thousands of people uh, that came out to be a part of that royal procession. Uh, and uh, I thought about that while they were singing. A lot of songs this morning about worshiping our God and the majesty of our God uh, and the worthiness of our God. And you ever think about that one day we're, we're going to get to be a part of a procession much like that, uh, but not for a fallen, deceased monarch, for a risen Savior and an almighty God. And we get to be a part of that. And one day we're going to be in the very presence of God and, and spend eternity with him. By the way, we're in the presence of him right now. Uh, he's in the presence in the midst of us, the Bible says. He's here with us, and the privilege that we have to be a part of that royal audience of the king, what a blessing that is this morning, and I pray that we'll bring him glory through the service this morning uh, and how we listen and be attentive to the message he has sent, and we're going to jump right into it if we could, Ezekiel chapter number 16. If you turn there in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 16. And when you find it, if you don't mind, let's go ahead and stand together in honor of the reading of God's Word. Amen. I think that's something we ought to stand for and that we ought to honor when we can. Ezekiel chapter number 16. And we're going to jump in the middle of an account here. For the sake of time, I will come back in a little while and give you some backstory. Basically, what's happening is God's called Ezekiel some of the darkest days of the Babylonian captivity. And God's using Ezekiel to be his mouthpiece and preach to his people. And uh, boy, I tell you, a lot of these minor prophets, as we would call them, uh, there's a lot of learning that we could do because of the times they were living in, a time of captivity, a time of distress and heartache, and we're living in much similar times today, and yet God raised up Ezekiel to be his mouthpiece and to preach to his people and to challenge his people. Now, you're thinking, boy, that's just rubbing salt in the wound, that we're in captivity, going through all of these tough times, and yet God sends a preacher to preach at us. No, uh, God wasn't sending a preacher to preach at them. He was sending a preacher and a messenger to give them a heartfelt message from their father, helping them understand how they got where they're at, but then give them hope of how they can get out of where they're at and hope that they would get out of that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And as Ezekiel accounts or recounts to them how they got there, he uses some illustrations. So if you would, turn over around to verse number 46. Ezekiel 16, verse 46. And God is about to use some, uh, some individuals, some nations, some people, some cities uh, that he has destroyed uh, to show his people of how low they have gotten, even exceeding their sin. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 46, the Bible says, And thine elder sister in Samaria, she and her daughters that dwell at thy left hand, and thy younger sister that dwelleth at thy right hand is Sodom and her daughters. Verse 47, Yet hast thou not walked after their ways, nor done after their abominations, but as if, it, if that were a very little thing, thou wast corrupted more than in all thy ways. Boy, what a statement. 
he was speaking of Sodom. And he says, you've been corrupted as if it were a little thing, more in all of thy ways. Verse 48, as I live, saith the Lord God, Sodom thy sister hath not done she nor her daughters as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. Now, verse 49 is our key text today. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, watch what he says, I took them away as I saw good. Well, there's some things that God wants us to see this morning. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving it for us. Lord, the good times and bad. Help us learn from both today as we look at some of the bad times. Lord, I pray that your word would pierce deep within our heart and bring conviction. Lord, for I believe that many of the things we just read that brought about the downfall of a people, Lord, are, are, are permanent parts of our culture and our life and our homes. Help us repent today. Turn to you. Pray your will be done for us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to jump right into it today. There's a very simple but essential principle in Scripture that all of us are going to struggle with and deal with at some point in our life. It's a principle, hear me out this morning, that you will either acknowledge by obedience or you will accept through experience, okay? The principle we're going to look at today is one that you will either acknowledge because thus saith the Lord, and you're going to acknowledge it through your obedience because God said so, or one day you'll come to a place in your life where you accept it through a personal experience. You say, what is that principle? Well, Romans chapter 3 verse 4 sums it up for us the best. The Bible says, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. Now, what is this principle this morning that you will acknowledge through obedience or one day you will accept through an experience, well, it's simply this. God's going to be right. God is always going to be right. You read the Word of God, and the Word of God is simply a record of those who acknowledge the Word of God through obedience, or they accepted it through an experience. Now, let's put that to a litmus test in Scripture. Let's think about Noah. What did Noah do? God told Noah, I'm going to destroy the world. It's going to rain. You better build an, oak, uh, an ark if you're going to save your family. So what did Noah do? He acknowledged the word of God through obedience, all right? But then we have people like Peter. Old Christ came to Peter, told Peter Satan hath desired to have him, that he may sift him as wheat. By the way, he wants you too. Wants your children, wants your home. Now, you can rather acknowledge God's word that Satan's coming for you through obedience and you resist the devil, that you be sober and be vigilant. Why? Because that roaring lion seeketh whom he may devour. You can acknowledge that through obedience or one day you, like Peter, will accept that truth through an experience. Now, folks, we're a hard-headed lot, aren't we? Uh, me, look, me too. That's why my hair quit growing on the very tip top. That my head's so hard, hair won't even grow there anymore. And I'm afraid as my head gets harder, it's just going to keep falling out all over. We are a hard-headed lot, and most of us end up accepting that truth through experience. That we have to learn the hard way that God's going to be right, rather than accept it and obey it through our obedience. We think about Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb knew and they believed God was going to be right. 
God said, there's a promised land, and I want you to have it. Joshua and Caleb just accepted it through obedience. And yet the other ten spies, what happened to them? Well, they had to accept it through an experience, and boy, did they miss out, and boy, did it cost them dearly. On all of our cars, no offense to you this morning, I have them in my car. We have those lights on the dashboard. What are they called? Dummy lights, all right? Uh, they're not called genius lights. Uh, they're called dummy lights. You know why they're called dummy lights? They're called dummy lights because sometimes it takes those lights coming on for us dummies to realize that, you know what, we ought to change our oil a little more regularly. Uh, we might need to pay attention to how much gas we have in the tank. And so those lights come on there, and those lights are usually telling us that some alterations need to be made on our part, Correct. Aladdin's lamp appears in our car. It tells us, hey, something's up with your oil. Uh, we have the little gas pump. It appears on your car. And it tells you something needs to be done. Some action needs to be taken on your part. Now, watch closely. You can either decide you're going to look at that light and acknowledge it and obey the light. Or you can have an experience. And the experience is when your car begins to tap. What is that tapping? It sounds like there's someone trapped on the inside of my engine and they're trying to get out. It's just this tap, 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 tap. Oh, that's your car. You're about to have an experience. Or maybe, maybe that little gas pump comes on there and ding, and it dings and it's telling you something. Look, you can acknowledge it and obey the little ding that's there or you can prove the dummy light right and have an experience. That experience is one that I've enjoyed many times in my life. It's walking down the highway carrying a gas, gas tank. That's the walk of shame. That's the walk of shame. I didn't pay attention, and now I'm walking down the street with this gas can. Oh, it just eats at our pride. Never miss a good opportunity to be humiliated. It's good for us to learn how to be humble just a little bit. Can I tell you, that's the way the Word of God is. Now, thank the Lord, we don't have a dummy light. We have a Holy Spirit and a preserved Word of God and that preserved word of God, it's there to show us the way that God would have us to go and the alterations that we need to make in our life. And we can either acknowledge that through obedience. You know what? I may not have experienced that in my life, but I don't have to experience to be obedient to it. You don't have to learn everything the hard way. I told somebody the other day, I know that bought experience is the best experience. But every once in a while, I'd like a free sample, wouldn't you? You know, you get tired of buying all of your education. Do you know why we buy most of our education the hard way and we have to experience it? It's because we don't acknowledge God through our obedience. Let God be true and every man a liar. God's always going to be right. And this is what Ezekiel is trying to share with his people. He said, you're going through what you're going through, this bad experience, because you didn't acknowledge God through obedience. Someone said this about the book of Ezekiel, and boy, do I agree. Ezekiel is an Old Testament parable of the prodigal daughter. Ezekiel is the Old Testament parable of the prodigal daughter, God's people turning from him and God trying to bring them back even in their captivity. Now, what's Ezekiel doing? Simply put, he's prophesying to the exiles that are in captivity because of their rebellion to God. He says, you're going through what you're going through, this bad experience, because you didn't have any obedience toward the will and the word of God. Now, what's God's point here? Is God just rubbing salt in their wound? Is that why God sends preachers? I'm sure you're thinking that. Just make our life miserable, make our life tough. God just sends messengers to rub salt in the room. Well, no, not at all. God's desire was that in their captivity, he loved them enough to send someone that he might help turn their heart back to him. Isn't that a loving God? 
I mean, you think about that. I mean, we look at God as this scary overlord up in eternity who's ready to zap us the moment we do something wrong. And yet he is a loving, kind, long-suffering, compassionate father who even in our captivity, even in our distresses, sends a lifeline through his messengers to help us get out of that. So what's Ezekiel trying to do? He's trying to turn their heart back to God. Isaiah did the same thing, chapter 55, verse 6. The Bible says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. Here's God speaking to his people. I'm trying to turn your desires back toward me. Now, folks, that's always God's message and that's God's message today. Sadly, Sadly, and I'm guilty of this, too often we have to learn through experience. I'm going to tell you this, whether you agree with it or not, but it's the truth. You're one day going to accept God's word. You're going to accept it. Even the rich man who rejected it his entire life, what do we see him doing in hell calling out to God? He's praying. He's interested in souls down there in heaven. He has compassion for other people. He wants something that only God can give. He has finally gotten to the place to where he desires from God what God desired for him all along. But it's too late now. Now, can I tell you, you're going to agree with God's word one day, one way or the other. You're going to desire God one day. I promise you that. All right? That's not spoken by me. That's spoken by the Word of God. There will be a day where every knee bows and every tongue confesses. You will desire God one day. The question is when. Are you going to desire God when you finally have to accept a bad experience? Or why don't we just decide we're going to do it now and accept it through obedience? But sadly, we take the long way around. Friday, the kids were out, the high school kids were out of school. Sorry, elementary school teachers. Sorry about that. High school kids were out of school and uh, we decided we're going to spend a day, uh, half a day with Miley. So the second half of the day, we kind of slated for her to go antiquing. She loves to antique, and, and we do too. So we went antiquing together. And we finished antiquing south of 49 down there by, by Paul B. Johnson. We decided, you know, let's go out and get something to eat. And, boy, that's a million-dollar question, right? I said, let's go eat somewhere we've never eaten before. And so we started driving. This is no joke. I wrote down the track of where we went. We started driving in South Hattiesburg. Ended up in Purvis. We left Purvis, ended up in Oak Grove. After Oak Grove, we ended up in downtown Hattiesburg and then Petal. And after we left Petal, we ended up at one of our favorite restaurants that we've eaten at more times than I can recall. We just weren't, I could tell Molly wasn't hungry enough yet. And so we drove around for an hour and a half only to end up at a place we've eaten at before in a place that we really like. And oh, I was preparing this morning and the Lord brought to mind. That's how you do me sometimes. You go off and look everywhere else, desiring this, desiring that, desiring there, and finally you're going to end up back where I tell you you're going to end up. God says, I'm going to be right. You're going to end up desiring me. And this morning we're going to look at that very, very simple thought because what happens is we go chase all of our desires only to end up back with God. We waste a lot of time. We waste a lot of opportunity. And we miss out on all that God had desired for us. Can I tell you this morning, what Ezekiel is telling them is what I want to share with you this morning. He's sharing with them the danger of their desires. Okay? The danger of their desires. You see, you can't serve both. What does the Bible say? No man can serve two masters, Matthew 6, 24. For either he will hate the one and love the other. 
You see, you can't pursue your desires and God's desires until your desires become God's desires. And then when your desires become God's desires, oh, you find out the blessings of God and the providence of God on your life. But what distracts us is our desires. So this morning, Ezekiel is showing God's people, particularly in verse number 49, the danger of our desires. And until we see the danger of our desires, we'll never delight ourselves in God's. And so let's look at the danger this morning in our desires. Now, I don't want to insult you this morning. I just want to preach to you God's word. And God shows us the danger by illustrating this in Sodom. Notice verse 49 or verse 48. He's speaking of Sodom. And he says, behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister, speaking of Sodom. Now, God's using an example of someone else to help them understand how dangerous their desires are. All right? Hey, you know, we can learn from other people's mistakes. You know, yesterday I saw the man had the walk of shame going down the highway. You know what it made me do? Immediately check my gas gauge. I don't want to do the walk of shame. Just as sure as I did, one of you Smart Alex would pass me up and honk at me on the side of the road. No, you wouldn't stop to help me. You just honk and wave. Look, you're thinking, well, I'm sure there's a good reason for that. Yeah, there's a good reason. I'm out of gas. All right? God says, I want you to look at Sodom. I want you to learn from Sodom. Now, notice what Sodom did. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Now, Sodom pursued their own desires to the point the Bible says that God cut them off. God cut them off. Now, notice he explains in detail what their desires were in verse 49. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Watch this. He does not mince his words. Pride. Pride. I have to be honest, that caught me off guard. I told my wife, I've read this verse I don't know how many times. And I read that verse, and it caught me off guard because I'm like, wait a minute. Probably thinking like you're thinking this morning. Wasn't Sodom's sin the sin of homosexuality? I mean, that's what, that's, they were the Sodomites. That's why God destroyed them. Their sin had come up before God. It was very grievous. And now God says in verse 49 that her iniquity, her sin was pride. Wait a minute now. You see, the homosexuality was the realization of their desire. But the root of their desire was pride. Now, folks, hear me out this morning. Pride. You see, what he's telling them is the most dangerous of all desires, number one, is a selfish desire. The most dangerous of all desires is a selfish desire. The people of Sodom made the destructive decision of choosing self and desiring self over desiring God. Now, look, it's not ironic that the LGBTQ, whatever the rest of the letters are, movement is described as the pride movement. All right? Look, I'm not here to tear people down. I love people. You ought to love people too. We ought to hate the sin, amen, but love the sinner because that's what Christ did for us. Look, your sin stunk just as bad as theirs did. And by the way, here's what we do. We try to distance ourselves from the people of Sodom, don't we? Man, those were the worst of the worst. God blew them off the map because they were homosexuals and all, and we distance ourselves from the realization of their sin. But the problem is the root of their sin is far closer to home than you think it is. The root of their sin is in verse 49. The Bible says, The iniquity of thy sister Sodom was pride. Pride. 
Now, can I tell you, you may be worlds away from a homosexual lifestyle, but your next door neighbor to pride, it lives inside of you, it's in part of your DNA, it was genetically formed in you spiritually through sin when Adam and Eve opened the door to that, it lives in you, it wants to thrive in you, and pride is alive and well in your life. You may, listen, you may not be part of the movement, but you're still part of the problem. Pride is just as bad a problem for you and I as it is for them. And pride is simply this. Understand what it is this morning. When we substitute our selfish desires for God's spoken direction, okay? Pride is when we substitute selfish desires for God's spoken direction. That means we know what God said. We know what God wants. We know what he's leading us to do. And we substitute something that is more comfortable to self. That's what pride is. It's, I think it was Matthew Henry who says pride is the original sin. You go back and you look in your Bible, it was pride that cost Satan his lofty honor. It was selfish desire. Selfish desire. What does the Bible say? Isaiah 14, 13. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will. I will. Do you know what God's word is for the child of God? It's where God outlines what you will. God says, this is what you will do. This is who you will be. This is where you will go. This is where you will not go. And yet pride says, no, no, this is what I will. Look, this is when I'll go to church. This is when I'll be obedient. This is when I'll do what what you want me to do. You see, we've elevated ourselves through selfish desire into the place that only God should occupy. I mean, we would think it all audacious this morning for us to run up to the throne room of heaven and try to throw God down. What a foolish errand that would be. Just ask Satan. It work out too well for him. And yet we do that every time. We put a selfish desire into something that God has given spoken direction for. Number one, this morning, the most dangerous of all desires is a selfish desire of pride. You look at where it manifested itself at Sodom. We see that homosexual lifestyle, whatnot. That's just a manifestation of it. The root of it was pride. Think about it, if you will, in that movement. What do they say? I identify as this. I identify as I'm deciding who I'm going to be. I'm deciding what gender I'm going to be. Notice the eyes in there. You see, pride. I, I heard uh, Scott Pauley preach the other day at the conference we were at. And he said he preached as a teenage boy and his dad was driving him home. And he says, Dad, how do you think that went? He says, didn't go too well. Thank God for honest parents. Amen. He says, what do you mean, Dad? He says, you talk too much about yourself and not enough about the Savior. He said, you had eye problems up there tonight while you were preaching. It's not this one. It's the I. It's the me. It's the my. That's who it is. That's our greatest struggle in life. I struggle with me. Now, folks, we can pick out other people. I mean, and I can pick, you know, my problem's because of this. And, man, if this person and that. No, no, no. My biggest problem is the guy I look into the mirror every morning. That's the biggest problem I deal with. And once I deal with selfish desire, I'm on my way to being obedient to the will of God for my life. But you've got to handle that one first. Think about it. All throughout Scripture, we see in Eve's sin. What was it? Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, the Bible says, When Eve looked at the fruit, it was a tree to be desired to make one wise When she looked at that tree, her desire was not to please and honor and glorify God. She desired it. It was a selfish desire. Who was it about? Well, the Bible is very clear. A tree to be desired to make one wise. 
How guilty are we this morning at looking after number one? My desires for number one. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And here's what I hate to tell you this morning. You're related to them. All right? Those weird, wacky genes run in your blood. It's part of your DNA, your spiritual genetics. You have an eye disease this morning, just like Adam and Eve did. And there's no way you'll ever please God until you get to the place to understand that selfish desire is going to undermine it all. Putting number one up top where only God belongs. It's amazing. I was reading through, reading through this last night. We had Satan who fell because of pride. Then we had Eve who fell because of pride. She was looking out for number one. And then I look at their children. God says, Cain, here's the sacrifice. Cain, here's how you do well. Is that not what God told him? It's a lamb. If, if Cain only knew what God was doing, that, oh, Cain, you have no idea what I'm doing. I have this grand, wonderful plan that one day my son's going to be that spotless lamb who's going to die for all men, and you're starting to lay the groundwork for that. And, oh, Cain, you get to be a part of that. You get to be a part of God's plan. How wonderful is that? Cain says, no, no, I want to give what I want to give. I want to offer what I want to offer. This is how I identify what you have. And God says, no, I'm begging you, Cain, repent of that. But Cain's selfish desire came in the place of God's spoken direction. Oh, it's a dangerous thing. Just ask Eve. Just ask Cain. Here's the truth this morning. Every failure in man, every broken home, every wayward teen, ultimately self-destructed. They self-destructed. When I was a kid, I used to watch Inspector Gadget. Man, that was a great cartoon. Anybody born in the 80s used to watch that? Dun, 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 dun. All right, man. We're going to go home today. We're going to watch it on YouTube. Inspector Gadget would always get these orders from the boss. I forget what the boss's name was. And at the end of his orders, it would say, this message is going to self-destruct. And it would always blow up in his face, you know. It would self-destruct. You see, that's what we do. When we pursue selfish desires, we're going to self-destruct. Every broken home, every wayward teenager, listen, every heart that's turned from God did not die because of God. They self-destructed. Selfish desire. You wanted what you want, not what God wanted for you. And now you're going to have to accept that God's going to be right through an experience rather than obedience. You don't have to. Boy, there's something I get across to all these young people here this morning. You don't have to. You don't have to. Listen, uh, look, if you have a testimony where maybe you didn't live as, as right as you should when you were younger and, and then you recovered, hey, that's a great testimony. But help me out by encouraging these young people this morning that they don't have to go that route. They can accept the word of God through obedience and have the blessings and direction of God on their life, but they've got to learn to crucify self. We're living in a self-indulgent society. Go look at your phone sometimes, see how many selfies you have on there. We are a self-pleasure, self-desire, self-fulfillment society. That's all that we care about is self. And oh, that's why we're missing out on all that God has provided for us. Proverbs chapter 16. Oh, man, you ought to get this verse. Verse 18, the Bible says pride goes before destruction. Pride goes before destruction. It always does. It always does. It's like thunder and lightning. It's really supposed to be lightning and thunder that lightning flashes my daughter will be at the house she doesn't like loud noises crazy kind of ironic isn't it she's in a preacher's home who's always loud and always makes noise and all of a sudden that lightning will flash 
And you know, in just a few moments, the house is going to shake. Just as sure as that thunder is going to follow that lightning, you be just as assured that destruction is going to follow your pride. Do you know why? God's going to be right. God's going to be right. Look, I'm thankful to have a part and try to help people put pieces back together. That's part of what God calls a pastor to do. But, man, I wish we could help that vessel find what it could be used for before it got broken. More times than not. The sad thing is, I could tell you thousands upon thousands of people that I've talked to, that have sat in my office, called us at the home, we've met and had dinner together, and, man, trying to restore their life. Thank God for the opportunity for that, because I need grace too. And as we sit there and as we talk together, what I hear so often is, man, I, I didn't think it would be me. For some reason, we think we're going to get away with sin. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. The Bible says, look, you sow it, you're going to reap it. It's real in our life. And the reason, look, the reason we think, you know what, that's not going to happen to me, it's selfish desire in our life. So here's what Ezekiel says to God's people. Behold, I want you to pay attention to what Sodom's problem was. The root of her problem was pride. She had substituted her desires for what God had directed them to do. It's amazing. 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible speaks of the day I believe we're living in. The Bible says the last days perilous times shall come. All right? Bad times are going to come. All right, watch how specific he gets. The Bible says for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Lovers of their own selves. This morning in our class, we've been teaching on abortion, trying to help, help arm our people with better biblical understanding. That way we can help people with spiritual problems. This is not a political issue. It's a spiritual problem, trying to help people with that. Uh, and this morning we were talking about abortion. The number one cause of abortion in America is because of inconvenience. I love myself and my life more than I love the life of that child. Therefore, kill that child so that I could go on with my life the way that I like it. You hear all the me's, my's, and I's? We live in a selfish society. The Bible says men shall be lovers of their own selves. But then you read verse 4 of 2 Timothy. Here's what it says. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. We're so self-indulgent that we love our vices and we love our pleasures more than we love Almighty God. You see how bad pride is. We look at the homosexuality of Sodom. The root of it was pride. By the way, selfish desire is what ruins our relationship with God. When you put you in front of him, it'll ruin every relationship that you have. Number one, we see Ezekiel's telling them there's some danger in your desires. And the first, he says, was pride, the selfish desire. But then what does he say next? <laughs> this one's interesting. The Bible says in verse 49, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride. The second thing, fullness of bread. Sounds kind of odd, doesn't it? We remember back in Genesis, we read the well-watered plain of Sodom. It was a very lush area. It was ripe for uh, livestock and crops and growing and plants. Matter of fact, the Bible says it was like Eden before it was destroyed, Genesis chapter number 13. And because of all of that prosperity, the Bible says she had fullness of bread so number one, the first desire was a selfish desire. But then notice the people had all that they wanted that they didn't need God anymore. You're thinking, how on earth could people get there? 
that they have so much food and so much blessings from God that they don't need God anymore. Well, you see, that's where pride will lead you. Remember that root of pride? It's going to lead you. Watch where it goes. Number two, the second dangerous desire that we have this morning is a satisfied desire. First, we see we have a selfish desire and pride. And now their bellies are so full, they've come to the place where they don't need God anymore. Now, maybe this morning for a Sunday morning crowd and folks watching on our live stream, that's a far-fetched thought. But I promise you, if you do not take care of selfish desire, you'll finally get to a place where you have a satisfied desire. Someone said once, I saw it on social media, and it was a very good statement, the worst part of missing church is that one day you won't. The worst part about missing church is not missing the fellowship and missing the singing. The worst part about starting to miss church is that one day you will not miss church anymore. That you'll be so far removed uh, from faithfulness to God that you'll be satisfied where you're at without God. I don't know how many times I've seen that in my ministry and people that I've talked to. You look at Sodom, they were so prosperous, they didn't see the need to desire God anymore. I mean, what could God offer them? And yet I want you to remember what happened to them. Remember when God got his people out of there and that fire and that brimstone began to rain down from heaven. I'll promise you one thing. I wasn't there. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened. But I'll promise you at that moment when things began to fall apart and the fire and the brimstone began to fall, those people desired God. They wanted somebody to save them, their families, their children, their homes, and their livelihoods. But the problem is they have been satisfied without God too long. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Psalms, chapter 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. There's going to come a time in your life where you need a very present help in your time of trouble. You're going to need that shield, the Bible says, that our God is. But the problem is, because of selfish desire, you've developed a satisfied desire. And you're okay. You don't need God. I promise you, you will. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Oh, the people of Sodom would have loved to have had a shield on that day. To shield us from the fire, shield us from the brimstone. But the problem is they had lived too long, satisfied without God. My dad's used the quote many times by the great old preacher, Cotton Mather. He talks about prosperity in America. The Bible talks about, uh, the, the quote talks about how it was God that brought about prosperity in America. But then the daughter devoured the mother. That our prosperity is what turned us from God. I believe the problem in America today is our bellies are too full. What did it say? Their problem, their iniquity was fullness of bread. I think that's our problem. I think the greatest thing that could happen to us, I'll be honest with you, is probably another depression. I'm just being honest with you. Why? Because our bellies are too full. You don't need God when you got money in the bank. You don't need God when everything's going right in your life. I mean, you're like, you know what? I don't have to go to church today. Why? Because I'm not worried about God, you know, doing anything because I got money in the bank. We're full. Number one, we're full of self, to be totally honest with you. The sad truth is, too often we don't need God until we need God. We don't need God until we need God. I think a lot of people have learned to pray in the last two and a half, three years. I think a lot more are going to learn to pray in the coming years. But oh, what a dangerous place when you get to the place where you're having this fullness of bread syndrome. You have a satisfying desire. I don't need God. 
Well, what a sad thought that we'd sit home while the doors of this building are open. Look, I'm not just beating church attendance drum, okay? I'm just trying to tell you, it's a great place to start in your faithfulness to God, not just in the house, but in your heart. And we're sitting at our house, five o'clock rolls around, we have no desire to go to church, to be with God's people, to hear from God. Why? Because we're sad. Hey, I don't need to do that. Is that not ultimately the decision we usually make? Now look, if you're sick, hey, I get that. If you're sick, stay home. You do not get an extra gold medal in heaven or gold star by your name in heaven if you come to church sick, okay? I don't want you to come to church sick. Somebody dies, you're out of town, you can't work. But boy, we sit home and we could go to church but don't go to church. Do you know why? We don't think we need to. That's why. We don't think we need to. But hey, I'm good. I'm good. My belly's full. I mean, that preacher preached for like a whole hour this morning. So that's technically two messages, right? I got Sunday morning and Sunday night all on Sunday morning. You know what? I'm full. Oh, no, look, you better be worried. You better be worried. Why? Because your selfish desire has become a satisfied desire. You feel full. You have no need to turn to God. That's where Jonah was on his boat. What was Jonah doing? Jonah, look, he knew what God wanted. God says, hey, I want you to go preach to those folks at Nineveh. No, I'm going to Joppa. I know where I want. I don't want to go down to those folks. He didn't like those people. That was a rough group of people. I don't want to go to that neighborhood. Those people, yeah. He said, how do you know? Look what happened after they repented. He had a hard heart even after they repented. He didn't like those people. He didn't want to repent. So instead of watch God's spoken direction, he chose selfish desire. Gets on the boat. He's riding the boat. What did he do? Well, he's sitting there biting his nails, scared to death. No, he's asleep. He's asleep. You can be assured that once you fall asleep in selfish satisfied desire, God's fixing to rock your boat. And oh, did he rock Jonas. Folks, I don't know where you're at this morning, but if you've come to a place where you feel like you're full, hey, I don't need God. You're in a dangerous place. God's fixing to rock your boat. He said, man, I didn't come here to be insulted. I come to help you, just like Ezekiel's trying to help them. Ezekiel's trying to say you're experiencing what you're experiencing because you weren't obedient in what God said. The only way that we can experience God's goodness and grace and long-suffering is now to turn back to him. That's why he sent a preacher. Proverbs 3, 8 through 9. Listen to what the Bible says. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Smart man talking there as led by the Holy Spirit of God. I don't want to be in poverty. I don't want to be rich. Feed me with food convenient for me. God, give me just what's convenient. God, give me what I need. God, just give me what I need. Why? Why was he praying for that in Proverbs 30? Don't don't make me rich. God, I don't want to be poor. Just give me what's convenient. Listen to what he says. Lest I be full. If we were honest this morning... And we're honest with ourselves, we confess before God that we know ourselves. And we, like this, the writer in Proverbs 30, we know where that would lead in our life. And you say, God, just give me what I need. Because I don't want to get to a place where I'm so full and have so much that I don't feel like I need you anymore. The verse says, Lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? That's a satisfied desire. It's outrageous this morning that we get so full of God's goodness that we deny the one who gave it to us. You're talking about fallen man. We are fallen. We are depraved. 
We are cursed that the very one who blesses us with all of his goodness, his grace, his long-suffering, the very one who gives it to us, that we get so full on the prosperity that God's blessed us with that we deny the very one who gave it to us. You know where it comes from? It starts with pride. That's where it started with Sodom, number one. That we have a selfish desire. Number two, a satisfied desire. Second Chronicles 7, we know verse 14 well. I'm going to hurry, but I want you to get this. If you go back and read verse 13, God says, if I send the devourer to the land, in verse 13. Now, why would God send a devourer to the land? Why would God send the plagues, the locusts, whatever it is, the drought that devoured the crops? Why would God do that? He does that because his people get too full. I'm going to wipe out the crops. I'm going to wipe out the cattle. I'm going to wipe it out. Why? Because God's being mean? No. But because when our ribs are showing a little bit, we turn back to God quicker. When our stomach begins to growl, we turn back to God quicker. When we need God, then we need God. And oh, when the fields are green and the cattle are fat and the milk and honey are flowing, we get to the place where we're satisfied without God. God says that's a dangerous, dangerous desire that you have. Can I ask you this before I give you the third thing? What would God have to take away from you for you to get serious about desiring him? What would God have to take from you before you got as serious as you ought to be this morning? I ask myself that question often. You know, I've driven junk cars before, but probably wouldn't be a car. I've lived in campers before, so, you know, probably wouldn't be in my house. But, oh, you start thinking about things that are precious to you. We start thinking about our children. We start thinking about our spouses. I don't know what's precious to you. Can I tell you this morning, the Bible is very clear. It's worth losing whatever's precious to you if what's precious to you comes between you and God. God says, I'll send the devourer. I'll shut up the heavens that there's no rain. You're saying, how cruel, no, how merciful. God's even worrying about trying to turn us back to him. What would God have to take away before you got serious about desiring him? And can I ask you this follow-up question? Is that what it's going to take? America, good night. We are as hard-headed people as I've ever seen. You look at all that we've gone through. All that God's taken away. I mean, just in two to three years, the country's different irreparably different. God's taken away security. God's just slowly but surely taking away so much that made us fat. We're vulnerable. We're we're not the world power. We're not the world leader anymore. And you look at who we've become. I mean, America's ribs are starting to show, and we are still not turning back to God. I'm afraid we've gone from being having selfish desire to a satisfied desire. And boy, we haven't seen anything yet. Look at the next thing in verse 49. The Bible says, the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, what is it? Pride, selfish desire. And then it says fullness of bread. There's a satisfied desire. And then it says an abundance of idleness. I'm not going to read something into this that's not there, but I believe this is there. Then when we look at it, we see a progression. Okay? Watch closely. They went from a selfish desire putting me first to then a satisfied desire where they're okay with living that way. And now notice the Bible says there's an idleness. Idleness was in her and in her daughters. 
So Sodom became comfortable in their contentment without God. They're idle. Hey, we don't need to do anything. We're good. Their desire is growing more dangerous. This is number three this morning. Notice, if you will, a stagnant desire. A stagnant desire. Idleness. Not only they learn to live without God, but they're good with it. They're good with it. Oh, what a dangerous place to be. When you have put self in front of God and you've become satisfied to the point that you're okay with that and you're at peace, not desiring God, but desiring self. You see, it's when we get idle and don't desire God as we should, that idleness opens the door for Satan to work. I've said it so many times, but man, my great-grandma had it right, and your great-grandma probably said it too. Idleness is the devil's workshop. You're thinking, how could someone be so depraved as Sodom was? Well, that's what happens when you put self on the throne in the place of God. And you get to the place where you're like, hey, we don't need to do anything. Do you know what happens when you get idle spiritually? The Bible says Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, it challenges us, neither give place to the devil. That's what idleness does. The longer that yourself holds that door open, the more the devil just flows in. And America is so selfish in our desire. No, we should be no, surpri- no surprise to us this morning that we're as evil and as wicked as we are. The man after God's own heart, the sweet psalmist of Israel, David. Man, there was a time in his life, you read the 23rd Psalm, he had God where he belonged. The Lord is my shepherd. Had God rightly in his right place of his heart and his life. And yet we see the Bible says that there was a time when kings go forth to battle. Listen close. The Bible says that David tarried. Wait a minute. Kings are supposed to go forth to battle and lead their armies. That's where he was supposed, that was God's spoken direction for him. And David says, you know what? For whatever reason, I'm going to stay home. Selfish desire. The Bible says David tarried. And as long as David kept that door cracked open in tarrying, oh, so much heartache and pain came in. He would lose four children because of it. And the Bible says that through that, he gave the enemies of God great opportunity to blaspheme God. What happened? Selfish desire, satisfied desire, and then finally a stagnant desire. He just got idle. You know what? No big deal. Like I said, you get idle out of the will of God, out of church, out of reading your Bible. After a while, you get to a place you're okay with it. And you can get up and walk right out your door without any apprehension about doing anything about it. All of a sudden, somebody says something about church. Yeah, that was tonight. It's Wednesday night. Oh, I forgot. It's not even in our thought process anymore. What happened? Stagnant desire, but it began with a selfish desire. Someone said this, and I'll hurry. If you're idle, you're on the way to ruin, and there are a few stopping places upon it. It's rather a precipice than a road. We think of idleness as a road that we're on. I'm just going to be idle a little bit longer, stay out of the will of God a little bit longer. It's not a road. It's a precipice. A precipice is an edge that you're about to go off of. That's what idleness is. And we get idle in the will and the word of God because we, are, we have a selfish desire in our life. Before long, we have a stagnant desire in our life. One of my favorite passages, boy, I preach this to young people a lot. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30. I went by the field of the slothful, that's the lazy man, uh, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles that covered the face thereof. 
the stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. It was the field of the slothful, the vineyard of the man void of understanding. They got idle, and what happened? The vines grew over it, and the walls came down. You look at America. I think if we could see through the eyes of God, look down at America, we're not that shining light on a hill that Reagan talked about. I'm afraid we're a country that vines and thorns and nettles have grown over, and our walls are broken down because we have a stagnant desire. We're idle. We don't need God anymore. The last thing I want to show you is the last stop on these dangerous desires in verse 49, the last stop. The Bible says, Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Now, I'll be honest. Sometimes as a preacher, when you're studying something out, you see those three points. As a three-point preacher, I, I love seeing three points. And then you see four, you're like, oh, man, how does that work in there? And then I look down, and it sounds like a humanitarian aid at the end of verse 49. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. I want you to watch how selfish Sodom had become. The Bible says that she's now ignoring those who have greater needs than theirs. You see, selfish desire, when allowed to reign, is going to lead to this last one. Number four, notice a sightless desire. A sightless desire. The people of Sodom were so full of themselves and their desires that they could not see the needs of those that were around them. They had been blinded by themselves. Blinded by themselves. I believe it was Nero when he was dying. Nero's final words were, Oh, what an artist in me dies. <laughs> Man, talk about an ego. Your last words, oh, what an artist in me dies. He was so full of himself. And you look at his reign, and his reign was one where, oh, for all of his opulence and for all of his castles and his kingdom, he ignored his people, starved his people, taxed his people. What happened? Selfishness had blinded him. He was so full of himself. Now look at the church today. I'm not talking about central. I'm thankful for our church and all we could do. We could do more. But I think about our church, and I think about churches around this country, and the churches in our country, I almost feel like we've become sightless. You know, can I just tell you something? It's amazing today. I preach here. I preach different places, talk to different church members. And how many folks are so selfish in their desire? You know what? I don't like that song. I don't like it when we stay late. I don't like sitting next to them. I, 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 I. And you hear more complaints about I than you do them. Now look, I'm not chastising this morning. I want to show you how scary a selfish desire can become. That all you see is you and what you want and what I want to have and the way I like things and what I want to do. And that selfish desire eventually blinds you to realize that years have been spent ignoring the needs that are all about us. Because we were blinded by self. This is what I want and what I like and what I desire and what I want for me and for my. We become sightless. We become blind. Do you know I think there's a reason that Jesus used the words that he did? He says, lift up your eyes, look upon the fields, 
They're white already to harvest. Now, now, don't you think they knew? I mean, it's harvest time. Surely they knew that it was harvest time. No, no, no. No, we get so self-absorbed. Every once in a while, the Holy Spirit comes along and kick us. Hey, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. There's people dying lost all around us. You look at Hattiesburg and the crime and things going on in Hattiesburg. Hey, do you know why they're acting that way? Because they're lost. And we're here to share the gospel with them, but we can't see it because we're blinded by selfish desire that we slowly get to the place where we have a sightless desire. I think our world is kind of like that man that was laying there on the steps of the temple begging for an alms. Hey, give me some food. Do you know the alms was only going to be a temporary answer to the need he had? What did they say? Peter and John looked on him. Silver and gold have I none. I don't know how to fix the problem that you have here, but such as I have, give I thee. But they had a, the Bible says they set his eyes on him. He had to start looking beyond himself to see what God wanted to do with him in the lives of other people. And can I tell you, when you start looking around outside of self and serving the needs that God put around us, all of a sudden, those selfish desires grow strangely dim. When people start becoming a big deal and their needs become a big deal and their eternity becomes a big deal, all of a sudden, our big deals aren't big deals anymore. Why? Because we got our sight where it needs to be. Can I ask you something this morning? Do you have a desire for God or is a desire for God that you need to? He says, can I tell you something? Talking to his people, he says, you're worse off than Sodom. You're worse off than Sodom. We're thinking, no way. We're not eat up with that. We don't have that sin in our life. No, no, no. Look, that was the realization of their sin. The root of the sin was pride, and we all got it. This morning, we need to swap our selfish desire, watch, and acknowledge through obedience rather than accept through experience. Maybe this morning your selfish desire has taken that second step. Now you have a satisfied desire. You're starting to get okay with missing church. You're starting to get okay with not reading your Bible. Oh, be careful because the next step is a stagnant desire. Where you're at rest with that. And before long, you're so blinded by self that you don't see what God puts you here to do. Let's stand together this morning. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed.